BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Should Arsenal fans be preparing for a quiet January? We'll talk Jack Wilshere's future, Gabby's big moment with Brazil, the chances of Arsenal signing Victor Osimen next summer, and more on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon, on this edition of the show. We've got lots and lots to get into, surprisingly, actually, given that we're in the middle of an international break. England, of course, taking on Australia tonight at Wembley in a friendly don't even think I'll bother watching that, to be honest with you. Um, that's how interested I am in meaningless friendlies. When it comes to qualifiers... Yeah, you know, I'll give it a go. And um, and there are often interesting fixtures. But England versus Australia in a friendly. Can't think of anything worse, to be honest with you, uh, on a Friday night. Uh, right on this edition of the podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about what we can maybe expect from the January transfer window. We're going to talk about Jack Wilshire, uh, who is the subject of interest from an MLS club. Uh, we'll be talking about Gabriel's big moment for Brazil. Uh, we'll discuss Arsenal's chances of signing Victor Osimhen this summer. He's a player that I know a lot of you would love to see us uh, make a move for. Is there somebody else in Serie A that we should be looking at as an alternative? We'll get into that too. Uh, and of course, we'll take some of your questions, as always, from the live chat towards the end of the show. But if I could quickly ask you before we dive into it to please leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening on audio, please do subscribe and leave us a review. That really, really does help as well. Um, Great to see uh, so many of you uh, in the live chat as well, which is always nice to see when you hit that go live button and there's people there ready and waiting. It's great. Um, So thank you. Uh, for the support as always. But um, I think we're going to kick off uh, with the story surrounding Jack Wilshire. So uh, could Jack Wilshire be on the move? Is he in line to take up a senior role in the MLS? We'll get onto that in just a sec. So Jack Wilshire is being linked with a move to the KSE-owned club or franchise. The Colorado Rapids. Uh, Arsenal have given him permission to speak uh, to the Colorado Rapids. Um, He impressed, according to David Ornstein's report, during the interview. And I mentioned there that the Rapids are owned 
by KSE. And that will certainly work in Jack Wilshire's favour, won't it? Because they will have, you know, people that they can talk to with regards to how he's getting on at Arsenal, uh, people that they trust. They'll also have an insight as to how things are going. Josh Kroenke in particular has been right across Arsenal Football Club now for the best part of, what, 18 to 24 months. He's certainly more involved than he's ever been. And um, and there would have certainly been conversations about Jack Wilshire right at the highest level of the club's kind of leadership when he was given the job as the under-18s boss. Now, of course, he took the Arsenal youngsters to the FA Youth Cup final last season where they were beaten, unfortunately, at Emirates Stadium by West Ham United. But on the whole, he's done a good job. And generally speaking, people have been impressed by the work that Jack Wilshire has done. It is his first coaching role. It is, um, you know, one that's, I think, perfect in terms of kind of earning your stripes because it isn't that much in the spotlight, you know, when you're managing at one of the big clubs, but obviously lower down in terms of the age group. So I think it's, it's the perfect role for Jack Wilshire. I think, as a coach and sort of theoretically, he's probably really, really good. Um, but there are experiences, I think, that you need to be able to to step up as a senior manager. And look, obviously, if you don't get given the opportunity, you'll never have those experiences and then you'll never be able to improve and move forward. I mean, even Mikel Arteta, when he was given his first senior management role at Arsenal or initially he was given the head coach's job, you know, you were a little bit unsure. You know, he seemed a little bit wet behind the ears with some of the decisions he was making. But in time, he's been able to learn. He's been able to develop. Arsenal have trusted him and off he goes, you know, and he's, he's on a great path now. With Jack Wilshire, I think he kind of fits into this KSE idea as well, doesn't he, of bringing in young coaches, giving them the opportunity to thrive. And what they would be doing here is they'd be, you know, taking someone from one of their, uh, football clubs and moving him across to one of their other football clubs um, and hoping to kind of benefit from having that sort of multi-club model. Um, and, you know, they have it across multiple sports, but this is where they align in terms of the sport as well. And I think they'll probably think, yeah, this is a good opportunity to help out the Rapids, but also to help out one of our own. And look, make no mistake about it. The Colorado Rapids are in a bad state. Um, they had a really, really bad season. They've had a really, really bad season. They are not the most attractive proposition, I would say. And we know from what we've read from some of our sort of American counterparts and, and people that have been way more across them than I ever would be, that there's a lot of ill feeling towards um, KSE among the Colorado Rapids fans. And we've been in that position before, haven't we? I think if if KSE could bring over Jack Wilshire, who is a big name in terms of what he achieved at Arsenal, but also, you know, the fact that he played for England, the fact that, you know, he is very much regarded as someone who had bags and bags of talent. And the only reason he didn't go on to achieve loads more was because of fitness issues. And there's something really nice about this story of a guy who had to retire a lot earlier than he would have liked, um, whose career was hit by injuries that meant it was all very stop and start. And he never really managed to go on now wanting to kind of, redeem himself or or prove himself as a coach given that his body unfortunately um has let him down but i do have an opinion on this and i do have quite a strong opinion on this actually and i know that um people that follow um mls are going to probably come at me for this and i know that um sophie over on the hybrid squad who who is very much across mls 
is going to disagree with me on this. I think she's already replied uh, to one of my tweets. Uh, big shout out to Sophie. Hope you're enjoying uh, Cyprus at the moment. I just don't think this is an opportunity if I was Jack Wilshire that I'd be jumping at for a number of reasons. So first of all, I think it's clear that the Colorado Rapids are in a bad way. And therefore, it's a really, really big job. Now, some people will say, well, actually, that's what you want as a manager. You want a challenge, right? The Colorado Rapids are at rock bottom. You know, they've they've hit the ground. So the only way really is up. And if you're half a decent coach, then you're going to put them on the right path and, and an upward trajectory will begin. I get all of that. But I think there's a few factors here. So first of all, I think the state of the team means that the likelihood of Jack 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 Wilshire being successful is a lot lower. And I think often, you know, your first big role or your first couple of senior roles are going to shape your career. They really, really are because people are unforgiving in the world of football. If you go and take on one job and it doesn't work out, but people understand the circumstances around that club are not very good and not ideal, then you can kind of get away with it and you might get a second opportunity. You might even get a third opportunity, but you're not going to get a fourth and fifth opportunity at the very, very highest level. And I genuinely think that Jack Wilshire has aspirations of becoming a top, top manager in one of the top leagues. I think he'd be better served working lower down the English football pyramid than he would be going and working in Major League Soccer. And that is not because I'm being dismissive of, of Major League Soccer or writing it off. I just think the way Major League Soccer clubs operate might not give him the groundwork that he needs to be able to go on and be successful in the English football pyramid, which you'd assume is what he's looking at in the long term. I think that, you know, A, I've said the club is is in a bad way. The team is in a bad way, which makes that difficult for him. I think it's a league that he'll have very, very little knowledge about. And again, that plays a big part. Now, you could argue that's the case if he starts dropping down to sort of League One, League Two that, you know, it's they are leagues and competitions of which he won't know too much about. He won't know the players. He won't know, you know, his peers. He won't really know the opposition size that he's coming up against and all the rest of it. But I just think if he wants to get a good footing um, in terms of going on and eventually managing in England, I don't think MLS is the place to go. If you were talking about a top-end MLS club willing to give him an opportunity, then I'd look at this slightly differently. But I think one of the keys to success as a, as a young manager when you're sort of finding your way and one of the things that will stand you in good stead for your career going forward is this ability to identify what is a good opportunity and, and what is an environment in which you can succeed, but also being able to recognise where you may not succeed and being able to recognise where you'd be walking into a bit of a trap in that the, the the chances of you succeeding are very low because of the circumstances around you. And that can paint a picture of what type of coach you are um, when it might not necessarily be an accurate picture. So that's what I think uh, about Jack Wilshire in this move to the Colorado Rappers. Look, if he wants to take it and he wants to go for it, I don't think anyone's going to stand in his way. And I think he'll have the well wishes of Arsenal fans throughout the world. I'm, I'm certain of that. In fact, Jack Wilshire is very much loved by the Arsenal fan base, by the club, all the rest of it. Um, you know, if, if he feels that it's the right thing and he wants to take it, of course, we're going to support him. And of course, we're going to back him. And of course, we're all going to have our fingers and toes crossed and all the rest of it, that it works out and he does well. 
But I just think if I were in Jack Wilshire's shoes, this wouldn't be an opportunity that I'd jump at. Now, something else may come up six, 12 months down the line that looks more appealing, in which case then he'd have to review that opportunity on its own merit and take a decision. And I might look at it differently. But A, I think it's still very early in his coaching career. And B, I don't think this is the opportunity that I would jump at. And as I say, having that ability to look at something and go, is this the right fit for me? And being accurate um, in terms of your decision and having that bit of foresight, I think is a massive part of being a successful manager. We've seen loads of top managers go into football clubs that were in dire straits thinking they could turn it around and it just didn't happen for reasons beyond their control. Equally, we've seen a lot of top managers look at opportunities that came up and everyone else was screaming for them to take them and they went, no, that's not for me. So I think, you know, Jack Wilshire should should think long and hard about this and personally, if I were him, I don't think I'd take this job. I think I'd stay at Arsenal for the time being. I'd make it known, make it clear. I think this story in itself makes it known and makes it clear that Jack Wilshire is looking for a senior role in football management. And um, if he keeps doing good things and keeps doing a good job with uh, with the Arsenal under-18s, opportunities will come his way. And the fact that he is such a big name and that he is so high-profile works in his favour because we've seen lots of high-profile people get coaching jobs that they really should never have got based on their credentials over people who had been in the game coaching for a long period of time just because of who they are, because of their brand, because of the awareness and and the spotlight that it brings on whatever football club it is they're joining. So Jack Wilshire has all that in his favour. But I just think if he makes the wrong move too soon, he could find himself um, struggling to kind of wrestle back the narrative when it comes to his reputation. So for me, if I were him, I'd leave this one. But let me know your thoughts in the comments. Of course, uh, I'm interested to know uh, what you guys have to say on this as well. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O C-O. It's the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and we're live on this Friday morning. Uh, let's see what you guys um are saying um about this jack wilshire thing should he be joining the colorado rapids gary griffin says wow this is great news for us and jack the documentary was amazing i was shocked at his level of coaching and acumen it was a real uh eye opener um what else have we got um gary also goes on to say rooney has just taken over at birmingham city and he didn't exactly pull up trees no relegation, 
in the MLS, I think really helps him. I think it will be a learning curve and it won't hamper him. I think with Rooney, though, the, the, the thing that Rooney has that Jack Wilshere doesn't is that Wayne Rooney did a pretty good job under difficult circumstances at Derby County. And that, I think, has played a big part, actually, in Birmingham City's decision to bring him on board. So I don't think the job that Wayne Rooney has now at Birmingham City is solely as a result of what he achieved in MLS or didn't achieve in MLS, depending on how you want to look at it. I think it is very much based on what he managed at Derby County, as I say, under really, really difficult circumstances. So that's where I think Rooney's situation and um, and Jack Wilshire's uh, differ. OK, um, Rizo says, imagine if Wilshire does well, his reputation will go up more rapidly than at a championship club. But would it, though? Like, would it? I mean, if I were an English club looking at a manager like Jack Wilshire, you know, first of all, he's not going to start by joining, you know, he's not going to join an Arsenal or a Manchester United or a Liverpool or a Chelsea early on in his managerial career. Mikel Arteta was a special case, I think, in that he spent time at Manchester City and his reputation grew from there. Jack Wilshire, if he goes to MLS, isn't going to then make the move from MLS over to a top Premier League club because it just doesn't happen. How many MLS managers have ended up at top half of the table Premier League sides over the years? It, it just doesn't happen. It isn't really seen as a breeding ground. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if I were Jack Wilshire, I think I'd be looking at the championship over MLS. I think he'd build a reputation quicker certainly among English football circles, if he did well in the championship, then if he went over to MLS. But, you know, that's that's just sort of my my view on it. Right, let's talk at Gabriel Magalais, who popped up from a corner to score his first goal for the Celis out in their 1-1 draw with Venezuela last night. I love this player and I adore um, seeing him do uh, really, really well. It's not the result that Brazil would have hoped for, of course, but there are only a couple of points off of Argentina who sit top of the South American qualification section. Um, but yeah, I, look, Gabby, I think, has had to wait patiently for an opportunity in the Brazilian national team. I think his performances with Arsenal over the last year and a half have significantly improved. I think he's always had the materials. He's always had the potential to be a top, top centre-half. I really, really do believe that. But I think in the last sort of, I don't know, year and a half, um, two years, I think what he's been able to do is sort of really limit those moments of madness that you maybe saw at the beginning of his Arsenal career, where at times he'd be a little bit over-emotional, where at times he'd be a little bit rash, at times he'd commit himself in situations where that clearly wasn't the right thing to do. I think you look at him now, particularly with William Saliba, um, by his side. And I think they've made a formidable partnership. I think they both look calm, composed. Both are more than happy to engage in the physical battles. Both are more than happy um, to, to sort of receive the ball to feet and try and play out from the back, which is obviously an instruction at Arsenal Football Club. And I just think, you know, he's as big a part of why Arsenal have, have improved as William Saliba. But because of Saliba's history and because I think William Saliba is a little bit better on the eye, in terms of the style with which he carries the ball and plays the ball. I think he gets a lot of the plaudits, which he deserves. But I think at times that leaves Gabriel Magalhaes in the shadows a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. He's finally been rewarded 
uh, by being given regular game time by the Brazilian national team. And he popped up and got that goal yesterday. And I absolutely love to see it. When I woke up this morning and I saw the clip of the goal, I was so, so delighted for him. I think it was Neymar's corner um, in towards the near post. And he sort of uh, got on the end of it and uh, managed to find the back of the net. So really, really pleased uh, for Gabriel Magalhaes. Um, one of my favourite players at Arsenal. Um, and I know that might sound a little bit strange when you think about how much sort of talent we have at the club and and the fact that in a lot of people's eyes, there are, you know, so many more in, in terms of the pecking order ahead of him. You know, your Sackers, your Martinelli's, your Odegaard's, your Rice's, your Saliba's, um, all of that. For me, Gabby Magalhaes is, is right up there because I've really enjoyed watching his personal journey and the way he's developed over that period of time that I mentioned. So obviously, uh, chuffed for Gabby Magalhaes there, getting his first goal for the Selassie. What a moment that would have been to him. Um, what a moment. Just just brilliant. Brilliant to see. Right, let's turn our attention to John Cross of The Mirror's uh, most uh, recent column in which uh, he suggests that Arsenal won't be breaking the bank in January. Now, I have to say, this is kind of what I expected. You know, Arsenal have invested a lot of money in recent seasons into signings in terms of what they've been able to bring in through sales. You could probably even still argue that they've slightly underwhelmed there. You know, Arsenal haven't been able to bring in the money that maybe they'd hoped for for so many players that they had to move out of the club, felt the need to move out of the club, got good money for Balogun. Um, not such good money, given his importance to the side for Granit Xhaka, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's a few players that we've moved out that, you know, you just knew that you weren't going to get top dollar for. You had to let them go. We had to terminate the contract uh, of Nicolas Pepe, which is something that this club have had to do on a number of occasions uh, as well. But here is the extract from John Cross's column that I think is really, really interesting. He says, Arsenal are in the market to strengthen in January with Brentford's Ivan Tony being their number one target. But they are likely to have to be creative again to get it done. Brentford want at least £60 million, and that means Arsenal would have to make a big sale to balance the books. That sale would have to be completed before June 30th, so it would not be impossible to get Tony done, but it won't be easy. So, look, I think there will be a lot of Arsenal fans that will read that and, and that will panic and they'll go, oh my God, what are we going to do? We clearly still have areas of the team in which we need to improve, and um, a lot of fans pin hopes on January transfer windows. Me personally, I always look at January as a bit of an emergency window. If you get to the halfway point and you've got a long-term injury, you've got a problem. There's a, a real issue with your team that is obvious and you want to go and put that right. January offers you that opportunity to do that. But I've always felt under Arteta, under Eddie, and under this current model and structure that there is a load of focus on the summer and the January windows are very much driven by what maybe you need and any opportunities that come your way. You think about Leandro Trossard coming in. You know, that was an opportunity that Arsenal felt too good to turn down. So off they went and they managed to bring him in. You think about Jorginho coming in as well. That was another one that was an opportunistic signing. Um, you know, so I think that that's how Arsenal will look at the January window. And I have to say, um, you know, I'm not surprised by this. For me... Heavy investment um, in recent seasons means that you're always going to get to this point at some point. And um, 
I'm not too stressed about it. I'm not too nervous about it. I don't think Arsenal are going to go and buy the big name striker that maybe some Arsenal fans would like to see coming next in January. I think it very much is something that maybe they're looking at for next summer. You know, will they make sales? We've heard um, in recent sort of days that Emile Smith-Rowe is being lined up by Newcastle United. Well, Emile Smith-Rowe is not getting a look in at Arsenal at this moment in time. So, you know, if that's the case at the club where you need to balance books and you need to be looking at sales, he's certainly one given the fact he's homegrown, English, et cetera, et cetera, proven himself to have immense talent in the past, is starting to prove his fitness, having been out for a long period of time. I think if you're Arsenal Football Club, you might look at him and think he's one we could move on. Now, a lot of Arsenal fans won't want that, myself included, but you have to be realistic about these things and he'll be someone that Arsenal will look at and view, particularly given his bit part role in the squad at the moment, as a sellable asset. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's really, really interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, I'm not surprised, as I say, that Arsenal find themselves in this situation. And um, and I'm interested to see if they do want to go out and, and make a deal happen, who might end up being the collateral damage to that, if you like. If that's a fair way of putting it. But anyway, that leads me on uh, to my next story quite nicely. We got, we talked strikers the other day. Uh, we discussed whether Arsenal need to get one. And we agreed that although Arsenal probably should be looking at a top, top elite centre forward come the summer, it isn't an urgent need. But of course, the minute you bring up that striker conversation, names get linked. Names have been discussed. I think the fans are very clear um, who they would like to see coming. But is that realistic? We'll get into that in just a minute. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Now, as I mentioned on Wednesday's show, um, I don't think Arsenal need to push for a striker in January. But I do think that Arsenal will be looking at bringing in an elite striker when next summer comes around. I think that's the next big move that we need to make in order to kind of raise the level. And then as a result of that, um, be able to kind of consolidate and maintain uh, where we are. I don't think we should be shopping in the bracket of Ivan Tony. Um, for example, right now, I think we should be looking higher up. And I know what we've just discussed about the club's finances makes that difficult. But I think I'd rather wait six months and get a player in that is truly going to transform our side than, you know, almost settling for second best in the likes of, and I'm sorry to say this, Ivan Tony. Or someone of that caliber. I think Tony's a good Premier League striker, but is he an elite European striker? I would argue no. And that's what Arsenal should be aiming at now. If we're challenging for the Premier League this season, if we're expecting to challenge for the Champions League, if we have aspirations of being the best, not just domestically, but on the continent as well, then you need to aim higher, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Victor Osimhen, who, of course, uh, scored 31 goals in 39 games for Napoli last season on their way to winning the Scudetto, is somebody that people would love to see come into the club. But I think people also recognise that Aurelio De Laurentiis is going to ask for big, big money. Now, I wonder if what's happened recently with Victor Osimhen and Napoli is going to lead to some tough conversations behind the scenes that could mean that De Laurentiis has no real choice but to kind of just concede a little bit in terms of the price that he'd be willing to sell at. Still not going to get him cheap. Let me be clear about that. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think he is one that I'd be really, really interested in. He's already got six goals in 10 games uh, this season. Um, but David Ornstein, during his Q&A yesterday on The Athletic, had this to say. In terms of price and profile, I don't see Arsenal going for Ossiman. I suspect he is on their list, like he will be for all the top sides. The pool of quality strikers is so small at present that any big club looking to sign one are likely to be studying the same names. And he mentioned Ossiman, Lautaro Martinez, Evan Ferguson. He mentioned Benjamin Sesko too. Um, and and I think that he's probably right. You know, I I, I don't want to say this because I love Victor Ossiman, but I think he's probably right. I think that Victor Ossiman will be seen as being out of Arsenal's price range. And whilst I think that Arsenal should be going, um, you know, for for the big boys, they should be aiming for the very top in terms of elite football players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, just, I just think there is a line. And I think that John Cross's comments in his column kind of back up the idea that there is still very much a line at Arsenal and that we have to be careful in terms of the signings we make. Hopefully we can fund uh, a deal like this uh, by potentially moving on somebody, for example, like Eddie Nketiah. And I know that comes across as horrible. I don't mean get rid of Eddie Nketiah because I don't like him. I just think like if you want to continuously upgrade in the team and you want to continuously improve the standard and improve the level, you you will have to at some point move on um, from some of these players. You know, you, you will have to... Um, make tough decisions. And somebody like Eddie Nketiah, who was given a long-term contract not too long ago, will be the perfect person to raise funds from. And I talked about it when we gave him that contract. It wasn't about signing him up for five years and then meaning that you're stuck with him for five years. It was about equally protecting his value. And if he's got a long length remaining on his contract and, you know, he's proven himself to be a good striker in the Premier League, then why can you not um, raise good funds from him and potentially save yourself 25, 30 million pounds if that's what you get for him when going out to bring in your new player? You'd have to top up the money, but that's what's going to happen, isn't it? If you're trying to buy better players than the ones you currently have. Um, but yeah, look, I, I love Ossiman. I think he's great. I do have one slight concern over Victor Ossiman. Um, which I'm not sure a lot of people are going to agree with. But I just wonder if the Premier League's robust nature is going to result in him picking up regular injuries. This sounds wild because he loves the physical game and he's so good at imposing himself. But I just have this feeling from watching Victor Osimhen that if he does come to the Premier League, physically, it's going to be a big change for him. And... I've always said this about players that go from Serie A to the Premier League. There are players that in Serie A come across as really physically imposing and dominating and, and they look great. And then when they come to the Premier League, all of a sudden that playing field is levelled in terms of the general physicality across the board. And all of a sudden that isn't one of the attributes that stands out for them anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Osimen. I think he's a great finisher. I think he's got incredible aerial ability as well, which is something we're probably lacking when you look at our forward options. But I do have this slight concern about him adapting to the physicality of the Premier League. Some will say I'm mad and I'm crazy and that that's 
a totally wild thing to say, but that's my gut feeling. And, and so I wanted to share it with you guys. Is Dusan Vlavic an alternative? Um, there's a feeling among Arsenal fans that he played us a little bit, or at least his representatives did before he finally joined Juve from uh, Fiorentina. And I know that Mikel Arteta will only want to sign players that really want to play for the club, but I just think he's such a talent. And the way he started this season after a, a sort of semi-difficult campaign last year, um, I think has kind of restored my faith in him as a footballer and as a player and as a, as an option. Um, if you go back to last season where I said he had a kind of semi-difficult campaign, 14 goals in 42 appearances, which isn't really what you expect from a striker that Juventus paid north of 80 million euros for. But he started this campaign with four goals in six games. Um, he's 23 years old, which for me, means he's at the perfect age profile. I think he does have the stature to compete in the Premier League. Is a difficult option to what we have. And, and going back to the point I made about Eddie, I think if you could get 30 million for Eddie, you'd probably only really need to put 40, 50 million on top. You know, if that, to get Dusan Vlavic from Juventus, who at some point um, will probably need to sell because of their financial issues as well. So Dusan Vlavic should be someone for me that we consider if we're looking for an elite striker. If we feel like Victor Osimhen is out of our price range, Dusan Vlavic is someone I think you could get for significantly less, who I think could be equally as effective in the Premier League, in the right environment, under the right manager, with the right players around him. Um, loads and loads of uh, comments coming through while I was talking there. Um, please do keep them coming. We're going to turn to those uh, in a couple of minutes. Get your questions in. If you've already put it in, put it in again. Put a little cue at the beginning of it so it's just easier for me to pick those uh, questions out from the crowd. Um, Damien Kelly says uh, Vlavic is so overrated. Um, not, not for me, he says. I, I disagree. I respectfully disagree um, on that. I think he had a difficult season last season because Juventus had a difficult season. And I think that with Juventus improving slightly, you could say, I think Juventus will be, I think Juventus will be in the title race in Serie A this season. And I think Dusan Vlavic finding a bit of form and improving and having finally settled in and understanding what his role is under Max Allegri, I think will be a big part of that. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, lots of you saying um, Tony over Vlavic all day. We'll get into your questions in just a second. Don't go anywhere. If I could just ask if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Also subscribe to the channel uh, if you're brand new. That really, really does help. And we'll be back in a second. Then uh, we're going to work through your questions for what remains of the podcast. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, Nav says, if we get Tony, it's got to be at a cut price. The guy hasn't kicked the ball in over six months. I think that Brentford sort of leaking, putting it out there, or, or sort of briefing is probably the right term I should be using, um, people that they're looking for around about £60 million is with that being taken into consideration. I think that they will look at what some other strikers have gone for over the years. They'll assess Ivan Tony's importance to them and they'll feel like, um, you know, they could probably get more than that. But given that he's not played for six months and form is such a big thing in football, given that um, he's had this ban for, for gambling, which, 
listen, I've said it before. When people ask me why I don't want Ivan Tony, I've had people ask me and then sort of proceed to assume that the reason I don't want him is, or the reason I wouldn't be making him my priority target is because of the gambling thing. I don't care about the gambling thing. That's what he did. It was his mistake. It was his screw up. He has paid the price for it by serving the ban. And I don't think that you should keep beating someone up over something that they've done. Didn't hurt anybody else in the process, only themselves. Um, and since then, they've had to make good and, um, you know, they've had to to take it on the chin, which he has. And now they're on their way back to getting back to what they do best, which is playing football. For me, you know, if someone served the punishment and, and particularly around an offence like this, you know, he's not it's not a drug ban. It's not a, you know, an off the pitch incident where he's, you know, assaulted someone or hurt someone or, or anything like that for me. This this is Ivan Tony hurting himself. And this is Ivan Tony um, having a bit of a problem that he needs to, to address. And, and there's a bit of sympathy from me um, for Ivan Tony in all of this as well. Um, because I think football is very hypocritical in that, you know, gambling companies are everywhere. Yet when players gamble, we're very, very quick to condemn them and, and paint them as villains. And I, I think, you know, I don't have a problem with gambling. Some people do it for a bit of fun and can control it. I, I acknowledge that there is a problem with it um, for a lot of people who who can't control it. And, you know, maybe we need to do more to um, limit, you know, how much it is in people's faces. And if you're someone that still decides to do it for a bit of fun, then I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not suggesting that it should be illegal or anything like that. Um, I do it for fun. You know, I, I bet a little bit here and there at the weekend um, with the football coming up and I enjoy it. It makes normally dull games interesting for me at times when I have, you know, sort of extravagant little bets and, and a little bit of fun. But I know my limits and I, I don't play a lot of money. It's nominal amounts that if I win, hey, I take the family out for a meal. If I lose, then... You know, it's, it's, it's no sweat, really. So, yeah, um, I think that I think that that's not the reason. Basically, well, I know that that's not the reason that I'm not keen on Ivan Tony, um, but I do acknowledge, as Nav says, that what has happened will impact the price that Brentford can get for him, and and it should. You know, it should. Um, what else we got? Um. Sko says, and he makes a good point because this is outside of the the gambling thing. He said, is nobody worried about the mentality of a player who is banned for months for betting on EPL games? I'll put that bit to a side because you just addressed it. But this is the bit that, that really jumped out at me from your comment. And someone who is quick to talk about his team or others in a derogatory fashion. That's worth considering, says Sko. And I agree with that. I don't like some of the other stuff that Ivan Tony's done. I don't like those videos that were going around of him sort of slagging Brentford Football Club off, you know, whether he was trying to pull or whatever. And he was just saying what he thought people wanted to hear. Um, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. That's not acceptable. And I didn't like the whole having a kickabout with my mates thing um, after the Arsenal win as well. So, you know, for me, yeah, um, you do have to consider that. And that's part of the reason why I'm not so keen on him. But it's not to do with the gambling for me. Let me be clear on that. For me, it's about the other side of it. I think he can be disrespectful at times. I do have question marks over his attitude. In, and it's not to question his professionalism. I think that's two different things. 
Um, but I, yeah, I would have concerns around that stuff as well. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, Evan says, uh, would you pull for Emil Smith-Rowe and 30 million for Evan Ferguson? There's so much hype around Evan Ferguson, isn't there? And I, I really like what I've seen of him so far. But if we're talking about wanting to go out and bring in elite, elite strikers, he's not there yet. Let's be clear about that. He's not there yet. He's not at the level that Victor Osimhen's been at for the last couple of years. He's not at the level that um, I think even Dusan Vlavic is at currently. I, I think there are players out there who are above Evan Ferguson in terms of their current level. But I also recognise that football clubs will will take potential into account when signing a player and when deciding how much is worth investing in, in an individual. And I think in terms of his, you know, potential, I think there's loads of it. And I think there's loads to be excited about. But this is Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club that we'd be dealing with. And I think we could all agree that they will be bumping up the price beyond what any other club would probably have the cheek to do. So I'm a little bit um, apprehensive about that because of um, how much he'd probably cost. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Jid says, when did raising the standards start being about thinking that we should have 25 starters? When we talked transfers recently, we've been speaking about selling second and third choice players and buying starters. I just think, Jid, that the game is moving more and more in that way. And, you know, the Champions League next season is going to be made up of more games. So if you want to be in that, you've got to be prepared to play even more games than we're currently playing. I think football is more and more becoming a squad game. And, you know, you're not necessarily always going to have 25 players on the same level where you've got 25 starters, as you described it there will inevitably be a drop-off with certain players because if you want to have the very best players, well, there ain't that many players that are of that level and of, of that calibre for you to just backfill the squad with equals. So you will get drop-offs. But you want to have 25 players that are good enough to be starters. And I still think that if Arsenal want to push to that next level and want to enjoy success, but then also maintain that success and carry it over for a number of seasons, there are still players in our squad that are not at the level required. Manchester City are the benchmark in terms of options, right? You want to be able to have an Erling Haaland up front, but then bring on a Julian Alvarez. And, and you know, Julian Alvarez is certainly good enough to start at most other football clubs. And Man City is not good enough to start in a lot of their games, in the opinion of Pep Guardiola. I love the guy, but clearly, you know, Erling Haaland is seen as further up in the pecking order than he is when De Bruyne is back and all the rest of it. I don't think Alvarez will start every week, which is a shame. But that's the level you're aspiring to get to, where you've got that calibre of players sitting on your bench. That's what you want to get to. That's what everyone aspires um, to get to. OK, um, AJ says, um, have been hearing about the need to balance the books. And I completely understand that. I wonder who Arsenal might sell. The names Emil Smith-Rowe and Ketia and Nelson uh, may be able to garner good profits. Agreed. And I don't think any of those players necessarily have a guaranteed future at Arsenal. I think their contracts that they were given is just as much to protect their value and allow us to garner good profits from them, as you put it, AJ Envoy, in the future, should we want to do so. Um, so when people get carried away about the fact that we gave Eddie this contract or that we gave Reese a contract and now we're not really playing him very often, to me, don't worry about that. It's about protecting value. That's what the, the main aim and objective was when those deals were done. Um, and uh, and if they performed and 
managed to work their way into the team and then we wanted to keep them well we're covered on that side of things as well um mafia boss is convinced about ivan tony says we need a striker who's going to take us further and i think ivan tony could be that missing piece another reason that i'm not massively keen on him and i've, I've touched on this in a previous episode of the podcast but i'll just kind of reiterate this point is that i think we'd lose a lot in our build-up play with ivan tony i know people say well you know he uh can bring the ball down on his chest and he, he can tee up people and all the rest of it um i think given the way we want to play and with the press and all the rest of it i just think gabriel jesus um outside of finishing gives you a lot more than ivan tony could ever give you um, and, th and, th and that's my opinion. And I recognize that that's my opinion. And I also recognize it's an unpopular opinion, uh, which is fine. But convince me, convince me in the comments. Let me know the specifics around why you think Ivan Tony would be this good fit. Don't just tell me Ivan Tony would be a good fit because he's done well at Brentford. Like, tell me about his game. What are the aspects of his game that you think would be uh, really, really useful to this Arsenal side, given our current game model? Give me specifics so that we can um, sort of deep dive into that and get those in the comments and, and maybe we'll discuss it at length uh, on the next episode that we put out. Quick reminder as well to our members, uh, if you haven't done so already, guys, um, please get your members mailbag questions over. I've got some, uh, but I just need a few more uh, to complete this episode and we'll get that out to you uh, bright and early tomorrow morning. So, uh, yeah, please do keep me posted on that. Uh, remember, leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. I am going to love you and leave you. Um, you can catch me on TalkSport 2 this afternoon uh, with Sam Ellard from 3, I want to say, until about half past 4. And then I'll be back on again at 5, um, right through until 6 p.m. So, um yeah, lots to chat about um, in the football world, as there always is, even during an international break. So if you're starved of football chat, uh, then please do um, please do join us over there. Thank you for tuning into the Chronicles of Aguna. As always, remember, if you want to support the podcast, if you want access to more content, you can do so via the Another Slice platform. The link and the instructions are in the description below. And I will see you all um, tomorrow, as I say. Um, with uh, a member's mailbag episode. And if there's any more news uh, that we feel needs covering, uh, then, of course, I'll hop on and do that as well. But I am going to try, I have to be honest, and make the most of a weekend without the Arsenal and um, a weekend where I'm not that busy. So, uh, yeah, I'll catch you all soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great day. Up the Arsenal. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.